It's Wednesday, September 29th, and you've got Oz in your ears. Oh, yeah. Uh huh. We're back. <laughs> yes, this is Radio Free Oz on RadioFreeOz.com. My co host David Osmond across the table from here at Blue U. I'm Peter Bergman, and David and I just spent two full, wonderful days with the Firesign Theater putting together our new show. I think we're all bozos on this bus. Honk, honk. Yeah, which is going to be playing at Marin uh, on, uh, what's that, Friday the 7th? I, I think, think so. I, got, yeah. I think it's the seventh and the eighth in in um, Monterey. Monterey, and uh, third week in October, we're going to be down in L.A. It was a lot of fun going back over some of that material and doing stuff that's coming in from. Yeah, Oz I think and, I think we have to change the title from "I think we're all bozos" on to this just, bus to "We're, we're all, all bozos. bozos" on this bus. Oh, man. for sure, David. I mean, there there's no <laughs> that's there's why no we're here together, thoughts. Pete. <laughs> Absolutely, we are all of us bozos and all of you bozos because I know you're out there uh are, are you looking at the website yeah because well they are to, to this degree we've yeah. got like almost 400 people a day coming up instead of a poultry 150 all right but we've now added the oz and ears page mm-hmm. so you can go up there and find out what it's going to be like to become part of the inner circle to be infradig and what's going to you know what's going to be made available to you so go on up and take a look at the oz and ears take a look at we've got all, all the bloggings going on there's all kinds of things happening on the site so give it a dig give it a dig please do look at Osmond's blog, which is so far has got two nice poems up there. Two very nice poems, and people are beginning to comment on it, which you can do. You can just go up and yeah, tell us what you yeah. think. Happy to uh, read your comments, and uh, and if I think if I think they deserve an answer, by golly, I'm your You'll pal, and I'm um, it's this is a lot better than than uh, than that other that uh, eyeball book. You know, that's that that the weird book. The weird book? What's yeah, well, that? they keep your Facebook. They oh, keep changing their rules every day. Oh, the eyeball book, yes. You know, it's like, and I, it's, you got these people that just send you their their outline. Yeah, right. Oh, I mean, I don't want, and then there, then there are famous movie stars that want to be your friend. I don't even know you. All right, so why don't you tell us about a famous comedian who lived today? Why oh, don't, hey. let, let, Let's become, let's get centric. Okay, well, speaking of famous people who uh, might, you might become friends with, you might have become, I certainly would have, with Madeline Kahn. Oh, yes. I, she performed once. I went to a Yale gathering uh, in Los Angeles, and she came, and she performed some funny light opera. She was wonderful. <laughs> and she was terrific. Uh, Paper Moon, oh, uh, uh, which is a fabulous movie anyway, and one of the first movies that I know of that used radio as a continuity device because the little girl in that film had her radio along With and her. you heard these great tunes all the way through the movie. It was a great soundtrack album. Which, oh, it, it is It is a wonderful film, and, truly endearing. And Blazing Saddles. Look out for Madeline Kahn. She, she died 10 years ago now in 2000. No yep, kidding. Yep. Oh, well, that's comedy. That's a comedy calendar corner for the day. She's making them laugh somewhere. From Talking Points Memo. Sales of new homes had their second worst month on record in August, signaling that the housing market will remain a drag on the economy. And you know where the housing market goes, so goes the economy. Last month's new home sales were unchanged from a month earlier at a seasonably adjusted annual pace of 288,000, the Commerce Department said this week. Sales were down by 29% from the same month a year earlier. What a drop. Normally, the building industry powers economic recoveries. Each new home built creates, on average, the equivalent of three jobs for a year and generates about 90000 in taxes, according to the National Association of Home Builders. 
But housing has been at the center of this downturn, and it shows no signs of recovering quickly. The only time new home sales were slower was in May, when the sales pace was 282,000. That's the worst pace on record, dating back to where? Let's see, how far back do we have to go? That's dating uh, back to 1963. July's results have been the worst on record, but were adjusted upward. I wonder by who. High unemployment, tight credit, and uncertainty about home prices have kept people from buying homes. Government tax credits boosted the market earlier in the year, but those expired in April. Builders are competing with millions of foreclosures and other distressed properties that show no signs of abating. They are unlikely to ramp up construction until those are cleared away and demand for new homes picks up. And right now, there's enough empty homes on the market, it would take at a brisk pace anywhere from 8 to 12 months to clear them off the market. And as we speak, more are coming on. Distressed, foreclosed, people just have to get out while they can. The industry is suffering the repercussions of a massive building boom in which many homes were sold to speculators. Ah, yes, speculators, who tax, whose taxes, of course, are the same as ours, although they're speculating with our future. They then resold the homes, often to borrowers who took out risky loans and then defaulted. Those unsustainable boom times aren't coming back. Oh, you think not? Economists at Bank of America Merrill Lynch predict that spending on building and remodeling homes will decline in the July-September quarter and actually subtract seven-tenths of a percentage point from overall economic activity. This am dark. This am seriosna. This looks like a microcosm of America to me. From Time Magazine, and Time is, is just getting better and better, I gotta tell you. At a recent debate in Kansas's third congressional district, the Republican candidate, Kevin Yoder, was a machine. The Democrats tax too much and spend too much. Tax and spend, tax and spend. Nancy Pelosi, he mentions Pelosi no fewer than eight times. He doesn't mention Barack Obama once. The way to revive the economy, says, is to stop the uncertainty, extend the Bush tax cuts, stop cap and trade, limit government regulation. The muddy, inconsequential answers of his Democratic opponent, Stephanie Moore, who is running to replace her incumbent husband, only serve to reinforce. Yoder's Christmas. The woman suffers from lack of experience and a chronic democratic disease, compound sentences. Asked about illegal immigration, a big issue in the heartland, Moore begins, well, this is a top priority for a lot of people, and wanders off into abstraction. Yoder says inaccurately that the situation is getting worse and adds another simple sentence, we need to close the border. I suspect that Yoder has the upper hand in this slightly Republican district, but there is a complicating factor, a third candidate, a libertarian named Jasmine Talbert, an unemployed geophysicist. She isn't much of a presence in the debate, a lesser libertarian compared with her more inspired co-religionists who can spin brilliant, if bloodless, Ayn Rand fantasies of a liberated American nirvana. But if Talbert wins any votes, she's going to take them away from Yoder, not the Democrat. And if the race is close, that could make a difference. The situation illuminates a larger Republican dilemma. This is likely to be a big year for them, but not an easy one. The Tea Party, libertarian, and establishment wings are fighting for primacy. The seeds of a 2012 primary Tong War are being planted. Well, that night in Des Moines, Sarah Palin gave a speech to the Iowa Republican Party that should be a joyous kickoff to her 2012 presidential flirtation. By the way, I personally get no joy from that. But it's, it's a mean, mingy thing. A lot of personal peak and inside baseball. She's clearly not 
pleased with the press, especially Vanity Fair magazine, which ran a tough profile of her. U.S. soldiers are dying to preserve the right to free speech, and journalists are using that right to lie. This is what Palin is saying. She also, she's also head up about the Republican establishment, which was freaked out by the victory of Palin protege and former witchcraft dabbler Christine O'Donnell in the Delaware Senate race. We need people, Palin says, who are willing to shake things up. Right. We need ignorant Satanists. Right on, Sarah. Go kill a bear for me. Now, this one's from Talking Points Memo, Dave. <clears throat> Last weekend, famous crooner and national spokesman for the 60-plus association, Pat Boone, famous crooner, yeah, yeah, launched a Beverly Hills Tea Party. Aimed at those lonely conservatives in Los Angeles, the rally featured the creme de la creme of right-wing celebrities who, as always, warned against our socialist president and the tyranny he and his pesky liberal brethren were trying to impose. Here's their mission statement. The Beverly Hills Tea Party is an organization that believes in fiscal responsibility, which means we keep the money, constitutionally limited government, which means nobody takes it away from us for any reason whatsoever, and free markets, which means it's free for us and it costs everybody else. Right? <laughs> I'm just I, yeah. so yeah, on the weekend, ahead. a few hundred locals turned up in Beverly Beverly Gardens Park to get out their message. Things kicked off with a little traditional music, a marching band with drums and flutes and you know and fifes and all of that. Okay, mm -hmm. people in three corner hats began the event <laughs> with, a Pat, <laughs> yeah, with a Patrick Henry impersonator. Patrick, uh, Patrick Henry. Henry impersonator. Does he also do John Quincy? Adams? How many people on the street said, "Wow, look wow. at that! He's a he's, he's a is he's that John Quincy Adams or is that Patrick Henry?" I don't know. Listen, let's listen to the lilt. So, a Patrick Henry okay. impersonator taking the stage and reciting an abridged version of "Give Me Liberty" or an "Give Me Death" speech. Just give me liberty, and just I'm give out me here. liberty, and, and I'd rather see you dead. Made yeah. famous by Henry in 1775, oh, the year before Beverly yeah. Hills was ever thought of. All right. Boone, who emceed, called the event not a Republican or a Democrat thing. Oh, well, a guy is Democrat really thing. thing. Right. This is a citizen thing. He, too, added a little musical flavor, singing a song he said he wrote specifically for the event. No. In the lyrics, Boone refers to himself as a rootin', tootin', flag-wavin' citizen and says, But I pray for our enemies. The Bible says I should, because if, if they mess with Uncle Sam, they'll disappear for good. Whoa. Well, I think, Pat, it's, time, I think it's, it's time for me to tell my Pat Boone story. Well, you tell yours, I'll tell mine. Okay, well, let's see. Uh, <laughs> I was a member of the... Uh, <clears throat> A Century City Athletic Club when I lived in Los Angeles for quite a while because I was a big fan of racquetball and they had great racquetball courts and it was filled with uh, people from the entertainment business. Sure. And one of the people that would join us once in a while in the locker room was Pat Boone. And I walked in one day and there was Pat Boone naked from the waist down wearing only a t-shirt with an arrow pointing down on the shirt and it said, my huffy. <laughs> And I looked at that and I went, this man is seriously deranged. This is the man that, that the girls crooned over if they only knew. Mm, that and he not had a much, huffy. And not much of a huffy. Not much of a huffy at that. So, I take it he wasn't wearing his white, uh, white No, he was not wearing shoes. his white suede shoes. He had well, nothing on but his huffy and his T-shirt. He what? was wearing his white uh, suede shoes when he graduated from Columbia University in 1958. He was a little older than me. Yeah. 
now. But we all sat on the steps together of the Butler Library and, and were graduated. Yep, Pat Boone was in, in a couple of my classes, actually, no at kidding. Columbia. Was yeah. he a perfectly okay guy? Well, you know, I mean, he was he was a star, kind of. You know? Already? Oh, he was oh, yeah, already? Yeah, I mean, he was 58. Oh, By that time, right. he'd been a star Big for star. half a dozen years. And he was, what, three or four years older, I guess. Than, but he did than, graduate than from Columbia. But he graduated from Columbia that, uh, that very year. And uh, he had those white suede shoes on. And, and everybody kind of thought he was a right winger, I got to say. I think, you know. Turns out he's just a nitwit. From time. Senate Republicans on Thursday stood fast in blocking legislation requiring special interest groups running campaign ads to identify their donors. Oh, heaven forbid, God forbid, that Karl Rove should have to, like, let us know the names of all the demons <laughs> and Morlocks in his uh, campaign chest. Oh, no. Most of them can't stand the light of day. Mirroring a Senate vote on the bill last July, all 39 Republicans who voted stopped Democrats from bringing the campaign disclosure bill to the Senate floor. The 59-39 vote fell one short of the 60 needed to advance the legislation. Two Republicans didn't vote. Republicans dismissed Democratic efforts to revive the bill as an attempt to win political points before the midterm election. The White House-backed measure is a response to a 5-4 Supreme Court decision last January overturning a decades-old law that barred corporations, unions, and other organizations from spending on advertising, mass mailings, and other forms of political activity. It's an interesting reading of freedom of speech. They say, and the Supreme Court says, the most conservative, the most hidebound Supreme Court since certainly the New Deal. I say Pack them. Pack them off. Uh, they say that money is free speech, is a form of speech. Hmm. Democrats warned that the ruling would lead to a deluge of ads from shadowy special interest groups financed by corporate millions. It's no longer a premonition, it's a reality, said Senator Charles Schumer, a main sponsor of the legislation, pointing to special interest ads already running in states such as Ohio and California with hotly contested political races. We have these nameless, faceless individuals spending huge amounts of money, corporate money and other money. There is certainly no transparency whatsoever, Democratic Majority Leader Harry Reid said. Yeah, right. Corporations, corpo, body. They are treated as individuals, as if they were real. Well, if they're real, come up to the bar and give me your name if you're going to put your money on that ad. President Obama said in a statement that he was deeply disappointed by the unanimous Republican blockade. He said the vote was a victory for special interests and U.S. corporations, including foreign-controlled ones, who are now allowed to spend unlimited money to fill our airwaves, mailboxes, and phone lines right up until Election Day. Yeah, that's right. Foreign-owned corporations can do it, too. Oh, my. I'm not going to do one of my bad foreign accents to, uh, to make the point. But Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell <laughs> said Democrats were playing pure politics, unlike his politics, which are impure politics, in trying to stop opponents from criticizing Democratic policies. They're trying to rig the system to their advantage. That is, it's quite simple. No, Mitch. You're quite simple. 
Republicans also accused Democrats of playing pre-election politics earlier this week when they united to block action on a defense policy bill that would have allowed votes on opening a path to legal status for the children of illegal immigrants and on ending the military's don't ask, don't tell policy for gays. The campaign finance bill, which narrowly passed the House on a largely partisan vote, would have required nearly all organizations airing political ads independently of candidates or the political parties to simply disclose their top donors and the amounts they paid. Do you think that's asking too much? It would have banned a variety of political activity by entities holding a government contract worth more than $10 million and corporations whose foreigners own more than a majority of voting shares. Hey! Makes good sense to me. One, two, three, four. From Politico, it seems that Representative Mike Castle is planning on polling a potential three-way Senate race to test his chances as a write-in candidate. Castle, who lost his GOP primary by a six-point margin to Tea Party upstart Christine O'Donnell, opened the door to a potential write-in bid this week when he told reporters off the House floor it was still a possibility he was considering. Oh, that must be getting all the GOP's undies in a bunch. And some of them and some of them wear some really weird undies. A spokesman for Castle who put the chances of him running as a write-in under 5%. Watch out when they say 95% or under 5% because they're not telling the truth. Said her boss likely wouldn't settle on a final decision before next week. According to the state's Elections Commission, Castle would have to complete a form by next Thursday to officially qualify as a write-in candidate. Said Castle spokeswoman Kate Dickens, a lot of encouragement has come in. Nice calls from people in Delaware who want an independent voice. Dickens, who would not confirm a plan to poll, said Castle has mostly been focused on House business, but has taken calls from those urging him to pursue a bid without a party banner. Delaware GOP, ah, the Delaware GOP, they cannot... They cannot be happy about this. Their national committee woman, Priscilla Rackstraw, said she had fielded dozens of calls over the last 48 hours, mainly from Democrats, about a potential Castle writing campaign. They want to organize a writing campaign. I'm stunned. Obviously, they don't like their option of voting for Chris Coons. I passed them along to Mike Castle's organization. I think they are waiting for a nod from Castle, Rackstraw said. She also said a Castle bid would likely test her loyalties. Everyone knows of my relationship and loyalty to Mike Castle. I make no secret of that. I might have to make a tough decision. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that you're going to have to make a tough decision. Like the kind of tough decisions we normal people make. Every day. While Delaware Republicans still believe the chances of Castle making the leap is unlikely, top GOP leaders in Washington sent a strong message that they would stay behind O'Donnell. The Senate Campaign Committee's view is once the nominee is determined, no matter how fakakta, they didn't say that, that's who we support, said Arizona Senator John Keel, the minority whip. He didn't say it because Keel doesn't speak any Yiddish. A CNN Time poll released Thursday showed Democrat nominee Chris Coons as a heavy favorite against O'Donnell, holding a 16-point lead. Yeah, you rock on, Mr. Coons. Doodly 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 doo. Oh, the trend. My favorite transition. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Well, Pete. Okay, so the thorn in the U.S. government side grows larger. It's always, you know, it's very mm. kind of Christ-like to talk about thorns insides of the government. WikiLeaks announced via Twitter that it has a copy of Operation Dark Heart, 
the war memoir that the Pentagon has purchased thousands of copies of and destroyed. They had to get a lot of marijuana that they would to get this fire going. His books don't burn easily. Oh, and, and get, pages from the Quran. They got those from yeah, Randall Terry. Oh, yeah, that'll do it. Burn all the books you want, Nazi punks. We already have a copy, read WikiLeaks tweet. Uh, that was a nice tweet. Yeah, that's burn a good all one. the books you want, Nazi punks. We already have a copy. The Pentagon claims the book in which Lieutenant Colonel Anthony Schaefer recounts his experiences in Afghanistan leading a black ops team revealed information that could damage national security or just make them look like the, the I won't even say it, that they are. The black ops. The black ops that they are. Bad yeah. cops, black ops. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, WikiLeaks is, you know, putting the thorn in the side, man. Well, I think that uh, – I think that – Tweet may have been part of the reason that uh, the guy, that one of the spokesmen for WikiLeaks, just uh, quit his job. A, yeah. a German fellow with a. Uh, uh, but he said he did it over Assange, that, that, that Assange was tyrannical. And, well, that's a pretty tyrannical thing, you well, know. We don't know, we if, this is a, we don't know if this Nazi is Assange's I mean, We don't know if this is Assange's tweet. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't exactly be. sound like him. No, you know? well, I mean, that's the surprising tone here. But, and, but the fact is, can anybody tweet for, for WikiLeaks? Or do you have to, like, have admin access to their tweet site? Who knows who did it, right? Can WikiLeaks. Anybody, can come anybody week for WikiLeaks? Like, uh, come on, there's a... T- Song that can anybody leak for WikiLeaks? I don't know. It sounds like well, maybe we should just be working on a margarine ad or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think you're, you're we, in the mood. I'm, I am. I am. Something yeah. like oleo margarine, that yeah. yellow stuff. Yeah, right. Put okay. little packets with in. the WikiLeaks. There we go. Doodly 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 doo. Appetite. 
From Politico, saying voters need one Republican woman who won't quit on Alaska, Senator Lisa Murkowski announced Friday evening that she would wage a write-in campaign to retain her seat. Murkowski, who was unexpectedly defeated in a Republican primary last month, made her announcement in Anchorage to the chance of supporters yelling, Run, Lisa, run! In which direction? Bukowski's announcement carries enormous repercussions for the Senate race and even on Capitol Hill. Not only does her candidacy dramatically alter the race, but Murkowski also immediately resigned from her leadership role as Senate Republican Conference Vice Chairwoman and may also lose her seniority and her position as ranking Republican on the Energy and Natural Resources Committee, which of course is a blow to Alaska, which gets more money than we possibly mint. In a statement, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell made clear that her fellow Republican senators were rallying around the party's nominee, Joe Miller. Joe Miller is a total nutcase, of course, who thinks unemployment insurance is unconstitutional, amongst many other wingnut ideas. And he beat her bad, and she comes from an old-line Alaska political family, a mentor of Stevens. I mean, she was a shoe-in. Wrong shoe, wrong foot. State Republican officials wasted no time in saying Murkowski would receive no support from the party. Murkowski's chosen words that Alaskans should deserve a Republican woman who won't quit on Alaska was a veiled swipe at Sarah Palin, who left office before the end of her term as governor of Alaska. Yes, Sarah is a quitter. Nobody is bringing it up much, but she's nothing but a quitter. Things get a little tough, uh, too many ethics investigations, and she's gone to become Mama Grizzly to the greater horde. Palin, also backed Miller, dismissed Murkowski's announcement in a speech to Iowa Republicans as a futile effort, like she knows. 
Murkowski's planned event featured several local Democrats who asked her to stay in the race, a clue that the senator will seek to attract votes from both parties for her campaign, even though Republicans hold a registration advantage in the state. We made some mistakes, Murkowski said. We didn't educate about the extremist views that were held by Mr. Miller. And when he swung, I didn't swing back. Ladies and gentlemen, friends and supporters, the gloves are off. Miller told the conservative magazine uh, National Review he wasn't concerned. It doesn't change our approach. Our calculus is that we are here to win. It's now Joe Miller versus the liberals. Running a writing campaign will be extremely difficult uh, undertaking for Murkowski, even with the more than a million dollars she still has in her campaign account. Murkowski said in her announcement speech that she will need to teach voters how to spell her name. M-U-R-K-O-W-S-K-I. Murkowski. Write-in campaigns are notoriously difficult, even in Alaska, where there is some precedent for it. The last person to mount any significant write-in effort in Alaska was State Senator Robert Taylor, a candidate for governor in 1998. Taylor received more votes than the Republican candidate, but lost the race to incumbent Democrat Tony Knowles. Well, we'll see what happens in November. Alaskans, get out your pencils. Well, Dave, the Firesign Theater is going back on the road with a new show. A brand new show, Pete. And so if uh, people saw our last show, which was kind of comprised of Don't Crush That Dwarf and Waiting for the Electrician, plus Nick Danger, of course. And And some anything you want to. Right. This time, we've gone back to an album that we very seldom ever projected on stage. I think we're all bozos on this bus. And it works. It's a real nice kind of combo melange. And and the second... Second act has got some anything, some new anything you want to. It's got new danger and all sorts of contemporary stuff that all of us have been writing in the interim. And remember, remember that Ralph Spoilsport's going to be with us in this show like he always is. And we'll drive down the Antelope Freeway and see what we can find there. Yeah, well, we'll take the stops on the freeway at the Marin Center Showcase Theater in San Rafael on October 8th. The next day to the Golden State Theater, where we started this whole show thing a year and a half ago in Monterey. So the 8th at the Marin Center Showcase Theater in San Rafael and the 9th at the beautiful Golden State Theater in Monterey. More information at firesigntheater.com. Squeeze the wheeze. It doesn't hurt. Honk, honk. This little guy from CNN. Summer may be over, but bed bugs don't seem to have ended their vacation in New York. Their latest hideout is the 95,000-square-foot Nike Town store in the heart of Midtown Manhattan. Nike told CNN the company closed the store because of the presence of bedbugs. A sign posted over the weekend said the store is temporarily closed until further notice. Yeah, until further bedbugs are further gone. In a major space like that, seven to ten days of treatment are recommended to eradicate the vermin. The pest control company Terminex has rated New York... The number one bed bug city. Bed bugs in the Big Apple. I'm sure that Bloomberg was happy to hear that. Oh, we're the number one bed bug city. I wonder what kind of tourist we can use that. How, how does that become Velcro to bring who in? I love bed bugs. I'm going to New York City. Elsewhere, bed bugs are going back to school at Lehigh University. Four dorm rooms were found to have bed bugs. Hotel owners and, and, and guests alike are freaked out by the possibility of bed bugs. The horror stories are building up on websites such as the Bed Bug Registry and BedBugReports.com. The Bed Bug Registry. 
There used to be the social registry, the who's who. Is there the who's who in bedbugs? Well, let's see. I've infested some very fine hotels. I'm a five-star bedbug. The bugs leave behind itchy bite marks on the skin, and some people have allergies to them. Bedbugs tend to live within eight feet of where humans sleep, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. That means that if you're a hotel guest, bedbugs can get in your suitcases and come home with you. You might want to consider keeping your luggage in garbage bags to prevent bed bugs from becoming stowaways. Ah, oh, long trip here at the hotel. Let's just put all of our luggage in garbage bags and ourselves in garbage bags and go to bed after we put a garbage bag over the bed. It's not as easy as just waiting for the critters to die since bed bugs can live for one year without eating. Hmm. I wonder if certain Republicans will start using them as the new labor force. They don't eat for a year. Hmm. Get me the garbage bag right away. Well, Dave, organized labor is facing problems with membership. You know, it's like they're, they're looking for new members, but there may be a new growth industry for organization. And the Teamsters are leading the way. It's marijuana. Ah. The Teamsters added nearly 42 members earlier this month. Uh, organizing the country's first group of unionized marijuana growers. And that's only possible in California, which has the nation's loosest medical marijuana laws. But it's still unclear how the Teamsters will safeguard the rights of members who, who do this work because it's considered a federal crime. Okay, Don't cross state lines, just for starters. Oh, but no, the feds, no. Feds, don't, the feds are always crossing state lines. When they aren't oh, cheating they on are. FBI tests, they're out there looking for you. Know, looking for you. I don't have this planned out. I didn't have this planned out when I became a, a Teamster 34 years ago to organize marijuana workers, said mm -hmm. Lou Marchetti, who acted as a liaison between the growers and Oakland-based Teamsters Local 70. This is a whole new ball game, and it's, it's hard to play ball on marijuana. I'm, I'm I would think it's, uh, yeah, I mean, you could. <laughs> ball strike, same thing. <laughs> no, hey, hang out in left field, field you know, left. and you're just there. The, the whole team's in left hang field. Hang yeah, everybody's out there hanging, waiting for the really long ball. All to come out, waiting. Yeah. Right. Go ahead, go ahead. The new members work as gardeners, trimmers, and, and cloners for Merigen Investments. It's Oakland's first business that con contracted to do medical marijuana. They have a two-year contract with the city, and, they, and with, with these people, they give them pensions, paid vacations, health insurance. Mm -hmm. Their current wages of 18 an hour under the new Teamster contract will That's go to 25 $25.75. $25.75 Within 15 hour. months. So, but growing marijuana or outdoors is not hard. That's why it's called a weed. But the most labor-intensive part of the process is indoor growing. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. You got to comes be, at harvest be. time when the growers rely on small armies of trimmers to clip the plant's resin-rich buds. Okay? And then suck their fingers. Yeah. Because the work can be difficult and the hours long and trimmers cannot count on federal labor regulations to protect uh, them while doing work banned under federal law. I this see. is not yeah. fair. No. Oh, you know, because, you, you know, Oakland basically uh, – Made it legal, at least legal within Oakland, and they, and they have this this whole um, uh, thing going out. Like, well, uh, would you like to be? Is licensed? this like is this like a legal case that the, uh, the no, it's not the Teamsters legal. can bring. No, the, the the thing is, is that the, the Oakland's looking to you know make these people official medical medical marijuana growers. The question is, union membership will not be a requirement for receiving a permit, but labor standards are one of the many factors that will be considered. Well, you know, if they join a vertical union, like, say, NABET, 
Yeah. Which has, you know, it's got it's got the it's got the the pot plant structure, you know, it's got the buds up there at the top who run, you know, run the business. And yeah, then right. on, on, And the down. duds down at the, the bottom who do nothing. Yeah, the and leaves And every day they turn it around and the duds are at the yeah, top. you got to get one of those. So. Those are called industrial unions as, as opposed to craft unions. Now, what the Teamsters have done, they're a craft union. They've just gone out and organized every craft that comes along. Yeah, a lot of different crafts. Yeah, so well, that's, uh, that, I, think, I, I think these people should have representation. Yeah. I think they should have, uh, certainly should have medical care. I certainly think I should be getting the twenty four, twenty eight, ninety five an hour or whatever. That's good pay, man. Yeah, that's Gee, real good well. pay. Well, maybe we should. Hey, don't go getting organized on me now. Then Uh-oh. I'll go get organized on you. I'm going to go clip a few butts. Hi, this is Peter Bergman, and I'm here in Oakland, California for Radio Friaz in the Oaksterdam University gift shop. With night manager Nate Groovy Booty. So, yeah, hi there. So, Mr. G Booty, I see uh, you're a union man now. Uh, Yeah, it's it's so cool, man. Local five. Oh, that's uh, Gimme Five. That's Gimme Five. United Food and Commercial Workers, man. We're all workers, just like the brothers and sisters who work, you know, like in meat markets and uh, groceries. I'm like, uh, this is totally Groove Booty retail stuff, man. Yeah, but Mr. G, I I thought that the medical marijuana business was, you know, like just for people with prescriptions, you yeah, know what I mean? well, uh, so is the regular drugstore, but uh, we got lower markups and we got better drugs. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about the retail side, you see, Manny. Here in the gift shop, like, everything is made of hemp. See this purse here, this ring, this nose ring. That's a nice hemp nose That's ring. That's a nice hemp nose ring. Look good on you. And this, man, that. this mankini that you can wear. Oh, yeah, it uh, reminds you you're a man, man. <laughs> <laughs> all hemp, okay, yeah, okay. And then there's these pot cards. They got pictures of the leaf, man, so you can, uh, you know, take it home and, like, it's like one of those bird books, man, so you can find out what kind of kind of bird you're smoking, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, like, if you're, like, you kind of, like, want to watch the end of your pipe, right? You want to know, yeah. you want to know what's baking. Huh? Yeah, that's what's right. What's shaking. Besides Go right ahead. you, yeah, right. Uh, well, and we got all kinds of local uh, cannabis-related crafts. We got pottery, we got glassware, we got, uh, you know, we got boxes. We got boxes you can conceal boxes inside of. They're handcrafted, man. They're, it's cool. Here, that's, for the, that's the time when pot's legal, but boxes are illegal, so you can you can hide them. That's another thought. Yeah, that's now, cool. you know, I'm all... Uh, I'm, I'm an all-night guy here, which is okay with me, because uh, this is all legit. Local 5T, we got the health bennies. Or do you get we, bennies for working at night, too? Uh, for staying up all night, man, you got to have a little extra something. We got paid vacations. Yeah. We can just groove out. We got night frisbee tournaments. Ultimate, man. Ultimate. Well, the white spinner, man, through the sky, man, just the twilight. It's like total, I can't tell you that. And um, uh, stoner product training, we got that. there's, you know, it's really tough. I mean, so how can you tell all these various kinds of pot apart? I mean, they're all greeny and leafy, you know? Just look in the case here, man. See, inside this, uh, you know, it's no problem. Well, this stuff is not like, uh, you know, your run-of-the-mill Chinese goat herb, you know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about? You got six... Linear freaking feet over the counter headache pills, man. <laughs> oh, no, no. Choosing the right pot here is um, it's like testing a few of the best uh, home brews, you know. Ooh, yeah, kind of, like yeah, taste. boutique micros. Yeah, yeah, taste thing, man. It's a cool quaff, you know. Um, uh, it's like, yeah, microclimate winery. Right, right. It's right. like that. Been there, You've yeah. been there, done that. Okay, yeah. hometown down home cheese. 
you like that? Yeah, right. Yeah, that's pretty good. Fair trade espresso. With Shade grown, <laughs> hey, Shade grown. Okay, so. Well, everybody here is a work of art. They're crossbred by our university grads, and its ancestors get traced back to the dawn of the pot age. Well, Mr. G. Booty, exactly when was that? Oh, well, you know, like, it's, uh, well, uh, like, uh, say, uh, wow, you know, you remember when uh, Ty Stick met uh, Maui Sensamia? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, there yeah. was a Tibetan uh, temple hash uh, trickled in, made with the Mando Bendo, you remember that? You know, I said around the time when my the seeds disappeared out of my stash, man. It's the bong time. Bong you know. time bong is not time. the wrong time for you, man. So, huh? So, what about this uh, this uh, ballot measure coming up in California that would legalize, tax, and regulate marijuana outside of these now like unionized medical dispensaries? What well, do you think of that? Well, 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 it's good for old hippies, man. Well, they know how to roll, man. They know how to roll. Hand rolled joints by the box. It's going to be the thing when the when the law comes through. Uh, the senior dudes be living with the sense of their psychedelic youth, like they say in the ghetto, man. And, and we've already got a right to, to uh, sell a couple of brands Acap- right here. Acapulco Gold, huh? Oh, no, man. I think, I think like Donald Trump owns No, you're right. I Acapulco saw that on Google. Gold. Yeah. Now, we're looking into branches of, uh, you know, like big dog, pothead names like uh, Ginsburg, you know, uh, Satchmo. Oh, I, wait a minute. Uh, yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, get, says, I mean, yeah, get, get the image. It's yeah, the image. Right. It's all about the image. But uh, the real, uh, the real uh, beta tasters are gonna go for the inside of brands like. Uh, see, my ears is Jack Inch. Right, right, right. His QR. Well, whatever they are. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations on your union membership, Mr. G Booty. And by the way. I've got some anxiety issues I'd like to speak to you about, and this referred pain down my L5 oh, really? that maybe a little something you got might be able to ameliorate. Would you like to come in the back? I thought I already was. was a dreamer for reasons of many she was a fool for his ways I walked on a wire on bridges still burning together they danced through the smoke that they'd raised For the moment No thoughts of tomorrow And fate was the dealer In the cards that they played And now that they're weary Their youth has escaped them They'll feed off the flames From the fires they've made They'll say My, how we've danced My, how we've danced Love is a gamble We took the chance 
my, how we've danced. He still remembers that first night he held her, the sweet smell of jasmine she wore in her hair. Fear known to children, yet the lust of two lovers. That moment they shared made them lighter than air. They say, my, how we've danced. My, how we've danced. Love is a gamble, but we took the chance. My, how we've danced. In a world where love's a restless wind, was it really left to chance? There's a secret only known to them For all are called, but few will share The magic of the dance He's still a dreamer Reasons are many And yes, she's a fool for his ways Love for a lifetime In a world that's outgrown them Together they'll dance To the end of their days They'll say My, how we've danced My, how we've danced Love is a gamble We took the chance My How we've danced Big Paul Volcker pulled no punches yesterday in his speech at the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago, a great group of fun-loving guys and gals, criticizing nearly all aspect of the nation's financial system, which he said is broken. If Uncle Paul says it's broken, look for cracks. Former chairman of the Fed and current chairman of the president's Economic Recovery Advisory Board had harsh words for banks, regulators, business schools, and the larger economy. Yeah, you know, he's a big guy. He's got big arms. He took it all in at once. A big basket of criticism. According to the Wall Street Journal, Volcker improvised the remarks, having decided not to read his prepared speech. He called for structural changes in markets and market regulation. Structural changes, not band-aids that Schumer and the, and the banking boys from Boston say are okay. Structural changes. Investment banks, Volcker said, according to the WSJ, have become trading machines instead of investment banks, leading to encroachment on the territory of commercial banks and 
and commercial banks encroached on the territory of others in a way that couldn't easily be managed by the old supervisory system. That's true. Those boys are running wild and they learn all about it in business school. The Volcker Rule which was billed as a key component of the recent Dodd-Frank Financial Reform Act, was designed to limit banks' abilities to use taxpayer-backed funds to make investments on their own behalf. But the final version of the rule, after being subjected to lobbying and compromise, was weaker than Volcker had intended. He told The New Yorker he was a little pained that it doesn't have the purity I was searching for. Yeah, it was fairly heavily compromised, better than nothing, but what isn't? His critique didn't stop with investment banks, according to the paper. Central banks, he said, became maybe a little too infatuated with their own skills and authority. And this is the guy that ran all the central banks and may have, you know, run prey to that same sin. A problem with regulation, he says, is that it relies on human judgment. He also bemoaned regulators' lack of perceived authority, saying that a financier might tell a regulator, we know more about banking and finance than you do, so get out of my hair. Of course, a lot of the people on Wall Street no longer have hair, so get out of my toupee or slip off my scalp, buddy. As Bloomberg reported, Volcker said the mortgage system is absolutely broken and is the most pressing problem in the current economic situation. It's going to take a long time to repair the basic disequilibrium in the economy, he added. Uncle Paul ain't happy. And if Uncle Paul ain't happy, Uncle Pete ain't happy. Oh, my bony boy, in the Estonian mountains, we used to go to sleep leaning up against a windfall. I was but a mere prat then. I'll never forget the time a snake slithered into my wife. I wasn't but knee-high to a merry grasshopper then. No, 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 look, that's all very interesting, but the sun is going down. Oh, no, no, you're all confused. The horizon is moving up. Hey, listen, come on, you guys, help me, please. I know, I know. Let's stand him on his head. There you go. Hey, 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 get it down. Easy, boy. Ah, you see? Now it's morning. Oh, he's no fun. He fell right over. From Politico. The American Bar Association, which was dogged for decades by criticism over a perceived liberal bent, is risking reigniting that debate by taking bold stands on a pair of hot-button social issues. Now, let's see. At its annual meeting last month in San Francisco, the nation's largest lawyers group passed a formal resolution urging every state in the union to permit same-sex marriages. Well, it's hot button, but it's so obvious. In June, the ABA took what it acknowledged was an extraordinary action by filing a brief urging a federal judge in Arizona to block enforcement of the state's highly controversial law intended to crack down on illegal immigration, obviously because they saw it as radically unconstitutional. I can't speak for other Republicans or other conservatives, but I can say it bothers me and I'm not a member of the ABA, said Alberto Gonzalez, who served as White House counsel, torturer, uh, a cheerleader, and attorney general under President George W. Bush. No, he's not a member of the ABA. I wonder if they'd have him. I have a problem with the ABA weighing on issues like that because they're telling a layperson they're lawyers and this is the way it should be. Yeah, well, you're a lawyer and you told us the way it should be, you know, drown them. 
implying, uh, he says, uh, that uh, if they don't agree with it, i.e. the ABA, then it's unlawful or unconstitutional. Perceptions of ideological bias on the part of the ABA have caused headaches for the organization over the years. When Bush took office in 2001, he ended a policy of giving the bar group a chance to vet judicial nominees before they were announced. He was a vengeful SOB and, of course, surrounded by the greatest vengeance SOBs of them all. When President Barack Obama came into office, he restored the ABA's early notification of planned judicial nominations. The ABA's new president, Stephen Zack of Miami, defended the group's support of same-sex marriage and its opposition to the Arizona immigration law as part of the organization's broad duty to defend civil rights. His quote, It has always been our position that we have an obligation to speak out on legal issues that really go to the fundamental legal issues of due process, equal rights, or preemption of state laws by the federal government, Zach told Politico. To many people, if you like the position someone takes, it's a learned position. If you don't, it's a political position. The fact that the uh, public is sharply divided on the gay marriage issue and appears to be broadly uh, supporting the Arizona immigration law isn't relevant to whether the bar group should speak out on these issues, Zach insisted. If that was the touchstone, then in the 50s, we should not have taken a stand opposing segregation. Zach said his background has made him acutely aware of the danger of depriving people of their rights. I came from Cuba in 1961. I'm the first Hispanic American president of the American Bar Association, he said. I keep that experience very close to me. To me, the loss of liberty is not a theoretical exercise. It actually happened. And we need more watchdogs like the ABA keeping an eye on this country, which is slipping into a kind of uh, fascism light. And if we don't stand up and point out to people what the Constitution really is all about, not dressing up in George Washington outfits and going around and yelling ballots and bullets, but what it really is, a sophisticated document protecting the rights of its citizens, a remarkable document that is still vibrant and totally meaningful, then we have to take responsibility for what's going down. Well, Peter, uh, uh, this kind of delves into the political future a little bit. Um, The census hasn't really come out yet, the current census, but they're projecting ahead how this might affect the number of House seats. I guess we're stuck at 435, is it? 435 seats in the House. Well, um, here's a slight preview of the horror that might happen. The, The state's predicted to gain seats gain, add one or two seats, are Arizona. I was going to say Florida. Florida, Georgia. Georgia, yes. Nevada. Right. South Carolina, Utah, and the biggie, Texas. Oh, my. Now, that's a lot of new congressmen representing really very conservative states, shall we say. Yeah. Right. Okay. Who are the losers? In other words, we can expect a larger batch of ignoramuses. I that's prob- another way. Of pro- yes, it. you could put it that way. Yeah, you could right. put it that. But it's your show. That's right. Uh, the predicted losers: Illinois, New York, Iowa. Uh, yes, New York, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania. The only southern state is Louisiana. People are leaving Louisiana. Yeah, of course. And Massachusetts. And Michigan, where they're also leaving. All the places where you have 
fairly right, good-thinking liberals. They're just losing seats. Yep. So um, that's my that's that's what the prediction is. Uh, it's from who, who these people, not the Census Department. But there's all oh election data services. These guys, can you imagine? They just go the numbers and numbers and numbers, numbers and more numbers and more numbers. Then there's going to be more of them and less of us, and then there'll be more of it and lots less to go around. I got some more numbers to go around here, Pete. Did you hear about the 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 religious survey? No, no, some, I was in church. I missed it. <laughs> here are some stats. The people who know most about the Bible are atheists. Oh yeah, that's right. The yeah. truly religious don't have any idea who they're who or why they're praying. Average number of questions. Well, I wouldn't even go into that because that's just too specific. An overwhelming eighty-nine percent of respondents asked whether public school teachers are permitted to lead a class in prayer correctly. Answered no. Eighty-nine. I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's it's pretty, pretty good, good uh, statistic. But fewer than one in four knew that a public school teacher is permitted to quote read from the Bible as an example of literature. Of course. And only about one third knew that a public school teacher is permitted to offer a class comparing the world's religions. Oh. Okay. The survey's author con- concluded that there was widespread confusion about the line between teaching and preaching. Uh, uh, 53% of Protestants could not identify Martin Luther. Really? As, as 53%. The, as, yeah. as the man who started the Protestant Reformation. 53%. 53%. They right. weren't paying attention. Well, he was an old constipated German, and they're not interested. There in you go. 45% of Catholics did not know that their church – here's a good one. Their church teaches that the consecrated bread and wine and Holy Communion are not merely symbols, but, but are, are actually become the body and, and blood, blood of Christ. Christ. Yeah. Yes, that's now, true. It's 45, transubstantiation. 45% of the people – don't want to know that. Yes. Okay? That's the way I would look at it. Don't tell me this is not. They're taking communion, but as far as they're concerned, it's just a dull snack. And 43% of Jews did not know that Maimonides, one of the foremost rabbinical authorities and philosophers, was Jewish. Well, I know that he was, but I actually went to school to learn some of that. My parents sent me out to this place, and I learned it, and I came back. That's when I got in trouble with the rabbi when I said, if we're learning about all the famous Jews, lists of Jews, what about all the Jews in the mafia? You know, like Greasy Thumb Gusick. And he said, (laughs) oh, Peter, he said, don't share everything you know with everybody. Okay, Dave, the end of a show, which, of course, presages the beginning of another. That's the way things go here on Oz. So let's, uh, let's have some tangalang before we, uh, you know, smooch on down the line. Well, we're going to smooch on down the line. It's, uh, it, it, it's fall. It's been fall up here. I don't care whether it was 113 in L.A. or oh, not. Weird. I talked to my daughter. What a baker. In fact, th- some people said the, temp- the, the thermometers stopped working. Oh, well, it's uh, in 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 ninth century, eighth century China, things were a little different. These well, I are, hope so. This, I'm, I'm reading these uh, Han Yu poems about autumn, and uh, this is number eight. Leaves fall in gentle swirls to the ground, wind borne, speeding past the eaves. They whisper sounds as though self-willed, somersaulting chasing one another. In the empty hall, at ambered evening, I sit serene, nothing to say. The boy comes from outside, lights the lamp in front of me, questions me. I do not answer, offers me food. I do not eat. 
retires to sit by the western wall and read some books and poems aloud. The authors are not our men of today. A thousand years are gone since then. Their words besiege my emotions, bring me to me anguish and pain again. I turn and say to the boy, put away the books and go to sleep. A man may have his thoughts in a moment, though fruition knows no final year. And what brings Oz to fruition? Well, there's David Osmond, co-host, and myself, Peter Bergman. Then there's Kelly Brewer. A li- Kelly is the latest member of the Oz team. She's doing a marvelous job for us. She's in a family funeral in Mexico right now. Wish her very well. Welcome aboard. Scott Wilde, what a busy man, uh, but he finds plenty of time to build our website and run our social media. Tom Gedwillow is our webmaster. Phil Fountain is the head of the Oz Design Group. Chaz Glass, well, he's our numbers man. He's our forensic accountant. Keeps us uh, clean. And Bill McIntyre produces the whole schmageggy. See you tomorrow, if there is a tomorrow. And of course, there will be a tomorrow.